Good evening once again. I want to welcome you to Grace Baptist Church and our midweek presentation this week. I am so thankful to have you once again joining us. And uh, we count it a privilege, as always, to just take a few minutes out of the middle of your week to minister to you. And we certainly begin by praying that you and your family are all doing well and that you are hanging tough and resting in the Lord during these very interesting days that we are currently living in. And I uh, certainly pray that you and your, your family are well. If this is your very first time here watching our, our uh, weekly presentation, I would invite you to take a moment and introduce yourself. You can send us a copy of the visitor's card that, that should be located down in the comments section. And if you would take a few moments and, and fill that out and send it to us, that would give us just an opportunity to uh, get to know you a little bit. And if you have any questions, you can email us at gracenc.org, and we will certainly be glad to help you however, however we can. Also, uh, if you are listening for the first time, or if you're actually listening uh, for, uh, you consistently listen, let me just ask you also to go ahead and take this moment to share tonight's content. You may know some folks that would benefit from this evening, and so let me invite you to share that and post that, and that would be a great help to us as well. As always, I know I say this each and every week, but I always want to take a moment and thank you as, as always for your faithful giving to the work of our ministry. We thank the Lord for his provision over these many now weeks of uh, the COVID pandemic, and yet the Lord has consistently uh, provided for us, and we are certainly thankful uh, for that as, as well. Let me also uh, mention that if you would like to give toward our ministry, you can also give on our website, gracenc.org, and you can click the Give button, and we would be very much um, privileged to have you help support our work here at Grace Baptist Church. Over the last several weeks now, about three weeks or so, we have been studying together our attitudes, and we're, we're doing some deep diving into some very individual attitudes that we so often portray that we fall into. And we took week one and we kind of introduced the idea. And one of the main points of that very first session was to remind us that our attitudes really are a choice and our, our emotions are part of our God-given uh, image of that we are given the image of God, creating the image of God. And so emotions are given to us as a part of our being created in God's image but we want to make sure that we are mindful of the fact that our emotions should not control us and that we should be able to uh, work through our emotions, manage them in such a way that would honor the Lord and choose our attitudes and make sure that we are choosing attitudes that, that bring glory to God. So we began that very first session. If you want to go back and you missed that one, you can go back and watch that and again, uh, kind of set the tone for our, our series. Then over, the next, then over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at two attitudes. One is a sinful attitude. We looked at the attitude of complaining. And then the next week, we looked at the attitude of thankfulness. And the principle is this, that we want to we kind of think through as we're working through these different attitudes, is Ephesians 4, chapter 22, excuse me, verse 22, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 down through verse 24, says this, that we are to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the pattern that we are following is this pattern that we see in Ephesians 4 is to put off the things that are a part of our former manner of life, understanding that we are not sinless. When we come to know Christ as our Savior, we do not become sinless. We do not become perfect. We still sin and we still struggle. And with that being said, some of these attitudes are going to be more difficult for for some people and others will be difficult for you. And so we have to understand that we won't all struggle to the same degree with some of these attitudes. But the reality is each one of these attitudes can creep into our hearts and it can become a sinful pattern for us. So in the first week today, we're going to talk about the negative attitude as we did with complaining a couple of weeks ago. And then next week, we will look at the replacement attitude. So when it comes to complaining, we want to take our complaining, put that away uh, because that's part of our former self and put on an attitude of thankfulness. So tonight, we're going to jump into our next sinful attitude, and it is an attitude that I believe is rampant in our society, it is rampant in our country, and it's one that many believers struggle with to one degree or another. It is the attitude of covetousness. This is an attitude that you see in the United States of America, and unfortunately, that our blessings that we experience here in our nation have fanned the flames for so many people of our spirit of covetousness. Our nation is one of the most blessed nations materially, financially, that we have on the face of the earth right now. And yet, despite our blessings, we are still a, a nation that is filled with complaining. We are still a nation that is filled with thanklessness. Well, the reason is because that blessing so often can lead us to an attitude of covetousness and a desire of materialism. So we understand and recognize that our economy is an open economy. We are a capitalistic economy. And by the way, I would say this, that scripture bears out and teaches that those people that work and labor and are responsible are the ones that that God blesses. And so we understand that scripture teaches the principle that we are to be hardworking, we are to work, we are to labor, slothfulness is, is sinful. We know that not meeting the needs of our family is sinful. So there is a very real biblical principle that we are created to work and that work should be financially compensated for. And so that's a biblical principle. And so tonight is not a a commentary on capitalism. I support our economy and want us to continue on in an open economy and and not in a more socialistic economy. But the principle is regardless of what economic system we may live in, that we are all prone to an attitude of covetousness. And it's not, by the way, just in the attitude of money. Okay, and we'll come back to that, that thought in just a few moments. But covetousness really is this desire to have more, okay? And very often, while our, our economy, our attitude of covetousness, materialism, promises happiness and contentment, the reality is that it often breeds discontentment and dissatisfaction because the more we have, generally speaking, the more we begin to covet. A covetous person 
always lives pursuing something better, something different, or something more. And so there is this innate ability in us to always constantly desire something that we don't have. Now, we have to remember that part of the Mosaic Law, and particularly the most well-known part, portion of the Mosaic Law, the, the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, tells us this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It says, you shall not covet. All right, so from the very onset of God working with the people of Israel as he is entering into this covenant agreement with them and he sets out the Ten Commandments, covetousness is such a deep-rooted issue in the heart of mankind that God put it as one of the Ten Commandments. Now, let's listen to the rest of this commandment because it tells us a little bit about what kinds of things we tend to covet. And listen to this list. Because it's not just money. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. How many of us ride by someone else's house and we look at it and it's bigger than ours. It's nicer than ours. It's in a better neighborhood than ours. It has a bigger yard than ours. Um, whatever it may be. And we look at that and we covet. Man, we wish we had we, we wish we had that house. I remember a number of years ago, actually almost 10 years ago, since we moved to our home here in Wilmington, I remember when I first came down, I was here a few days by myself before my family came. And to be fair, the house was empty, so there wasn't much in the room. My, my bedroom, our bedroom was, was set up, so I had a place to sleep while I was here doing some painting and that sort of thing in our new house. And I remember walking through our new home, and saying to myself, actually saying it out loud, the first time we complain about the size of our house, then we need to repent of our covetousness because our house is plenty sizable. It is, it is everything that we need. Well, once you move five people into that house and you uh, move in all of your furniture and over the last 10 years, you accumulate even more things. It doesn't take long before you begin to say, man, I wish our house was a little bit bigger. I wish our house was a little bit nicer. I wish we had this amenity in our home and we don't have that. I wish this, one of my big ones, I wish our laundry room was bigger. Okay, whatever it may be. By the way, not that my wife lets me do laundry. She, by, she graciously handles that for us. But that is a point of content. I wish our laundry room had a little more size to it. So it is very easy, as God says all the way back in the Decalogue, that we are tempted to covet and... The first one that he gives us here is, I should not covet my neighbor's house or my neighbor's yard or my neighbor's shed or whatever it may be. Okay, I'm not, I'm not permitted to covet that. Now, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So covetousness isn't limited to houses. It includes people. And by the way, this isn't saying that Ladies are permitted to covet somebody else's husband, okay? The principle is that if I am a married person, that I am not to covet someone else that is not my spouse. If I am a married man, I am not permitted to covet the wife or the spouse of someone else. If you are a married woman, you are not permitted 
you are forbidden from coveting someone else's husband. It is innate in, in humanity, especially when, when you've been married to a person for a period of time, you see all of their flaws, all of their weaknesses, and you begin to see cracks in their armor and you realize you didn't marry a perfect person. And so often when we see people out in public and or on social media in particular, we see the best version of that person. And it's very tempting for us to covet someone who is not our spouse. Maybe they have a better, in our opinion, they have a lighter personality or we think they're prettier or they're more handsome or whatever it may be. God says that you are not to covet someone who is not your spouse. And so what drives the industry of pornography, for instance, it it is about this covetousness that mankind has, humankind has, toward coveting someone else who is not your spouse. So it's not just possessions like houses. It also includes coveting people, particularly those of us that are married. Now, the commandment goes on and he says, not only do you not covet their house or their neighbor's, your neighbor's wife, but you don't covet their servant, their male servant or his female servant. Now, we today in 2020, we would read that and say that slavery is wrong. People shouldn't be enslaved. Uh, you shouldn't have someone who is a servant in the sense of a slave to you, we would, I hope, all agree that that is, that is degrading to humanity. We don't want to promote that. However, before we read past that and say, you know, that's not an issue for us, we have a little bit of a different kind of servant in our culture, in my opinion. An example of that would be, go back to my laundry room illustration, a servant for us is our washer and dryer or our dishwasher, or the other things, riding lawnmowers, those things that make our life a little bit more simple. They make them easier. I remember in the old days, we had a sink when I was a kid growing up and a two-sided sink. And one side was where you wash the dishes. The other side was where you rinse the dishes. And those of us who were kids living in the home, you had a night of the week that you were responsible to either wash or dry the dishes. My kids have never done that. They put their dishes either in the sink and someone puts them in the dishwasher or they put them in the dishwasher. We hit a button and in about 20 minutes later or whatever it takes, they're finished. We take them out. We put them away. Makes things much easier. So our servants today may be the conveniences of our lifetime. I may covet someone's TV package, or I may covet their washer and dryer, or their refrigerator, or their riding lawnmower, or something that may make our life a little bit more convenient. So when we read servants, don't just think about people, think about the conveniences that we have in our life. The commandment goes on. He says, don't covet their ox or their donkey or anything that is their neighbor. I, I will tell you, I, I have a sinful heart just like the rest of us. I have never one time coveted a donkey. I have never coveted somebody's ox. I've never done that, and you probably haven't either. But 
I have coveted other people's automobiles. I have coveted, again, possessions of theirs. And, and ox and donkeys, by the way, were, were a material blessing of that time. It meant that you had some level, level of financial gain. And so we have to understand that it's not just talking about the animals. That was true in their time, in their day. It was a very important part of their economy. It was a very important part of their success as farmers. But for us today, we may covet someone's car or their motorcycle or, or their beach house or, or whatever it may be. And, and, and the commandment really is given more broadly, do not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And we know this, that your neighbor is not simply the person who lives to the right or to the left of your house. These are the people that are in our life. They are in the proximity of our lives and we interact with them and we see them and we know them. We are not to covet anything that does not belong to us. Uh, Solomon, writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, as many of you may know, Ecclesiastes is one of my, my favorite uh, books in, in the Bible. I enjoy studying that book and read it often. But Solomon makes a very interesting statement. And by, by the way, you may not be familiar with Solomon, but he was a very powerful man, very wealthy man. He had everything his heart desired. Anything that Solomon could, could imagine, he could get. In fact, listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon says it is a pointless pursuit. The man who had everything said it was all chasing after the wind. I want to read you a very quick verse of scripture that is found in the book of Numbers. We don't have time in this abbreviated format to really dive into this this text a whole lot. But I want to read to you Numbers chapter 11 and listen to these verses for just a moment. Verse 1, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outside or outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Teberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now listen to verse 4. Now the rabble, this group of people that were kind of worked up, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving And the people of Israel also wept again, all that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt and it cost us nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna. Wow. A strong craving. A craving that went 
against what God had provided. They were not satisfied with what God had given to them. The manna that God had given to them miraculously to sustain them and to nourish them now was becoming a source of contention. And they longed to go back to Egypt, forgetting the suffering that they had experienced while they were under the oppression under Pharaoh. They forgot all of that. And they began to glorify the past, which I'm working on a new series we'll be presenting here in a few weeks, where we often glorify the past and we think it was better than what we remember. We have selective memory. Our memory isn't as good as we would like for it to, to, like for it to believe it to be. It's not very effective at times. And these people, their memory was selective. Their memory was 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 not correct and they were remembering the food and they began to glorify the past and to uh, take pleasure in the memories of what they had in the land of Egypt when the reality was they were under absolute oppression and they were suffering. And the, and the mighty God had miraculously provided manna for them, but it was no longer good enough. They had a strong craving, covetousness, a desire for something that God had not given to them. So as we wrap up tonight, maybe we, we can't leave this without being a little bit more specific. And what is covetousness? I've been talking for about 20 minutes now about covetousness. And you may be still sitting there thinking to yourself, I, I don't do that. Or you may be saying, yeah, what is that exactly? Well, covetousness is inordinately or excessively or wrongly desirous of wealth or possessions. It means to be greedy. And so there are four aspects of covetousness. One, covetousness is wanting wrong things. If I, as a married man, I've been married to my wife for almost 26 years. As a married man, if I covet, I desire, I have a strong craving for another man's wife. That's called lust, but it's also covetousness. I am desiring something, or in this case, someone who God did not provide for me to be my spouse. Michelle is my spouse. That person is not. I'm married to one person for the rest of my life. And so covetousness is wanting a wrong thing. I am wrong. I am sinning. When I covet something that God did not provide, someone who's not my spouse would be an example of that. Secondly, covetousness is also wanting right things for the wrong reasons. So let's take my illustration of marriage and say that for sake of argument that I am a single person and I desire to be married. That's not wrong. However, if my reasons for wanting to get married are selfish or they are sinful or they are misaligned, then I am covening. I am desiring something that might be a wrong thing, but uh, excuse me, a right thing, but I am desiring that for the wrong reasons. I may desire to have a promotion at work. Am I wrong for desiring to see my career grow and, and see some level of quote unquote success? Well, not necessarily unless I want that promotion for the wrong reason. And so we have to make sure that our covetousness, our spirit of covetousness 
is in fact in check with what is right before God and also what is our motivation, what is our, what is our reason. Covetousness is also wanting right things at the wrong time. So I may have a right motive, but I may want them in the wrong time. We have to wait for God's timing and provision and not allow covetousness to, to run rampant. Let me give you a quick illustration of that. Let's say, for instance, that I want to buy a home and I'm a first-time home buyer. You're not wrong for wanting to buy a home. In fact, I would argue that even in our current economy, buying a home is still a good investment. But if I want it at the wrong time and I get foolish in my decisions and I don't wait for God's provision, I don't, I'm not wise in how I pursue purchasing a home. I am coveting something that is right, but I want it at the wrong time. Here is where the last one, the fourth one, might be where we struggle the most. Most of us understand that coveting another person's wife is, is not right. That's sinful. We understand that coveting another person's car is sinful or their house. We, we generally get that. And we understand that sometimes I want a right thing for the wrong reason. We also understand that I may want the right thing at the wrong, the right thing at the wrong time. But listen to the fourth one. Covetousness includes wanting right things, but wanting them in the wrong amount. In other words, we have this unsettled spirit that if I have one house, I need two. If I have one car, I need two or I need three. If I have this particular blessing or I have this one, this one particular um, um, material possession, that I need more of that. And I begin to covet, not that it's bad, not that it's sinful, not that it's wrong, but I want it in an, in an abundance. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, each and every one of us would have to admit that there are things in this world that we covet in such a way that we want them to a greater degree than what God had promised or what God had provided for us. And so in closing, what are some things that we need to learn about covetousness? Number one, understand that covetousness enrooted in a rejection of God's sufficiency and a rejection of God's provision. Those things are no longer good enough. The people of Israel in Numbers chapter 11 are a perfect illustration of that. They were no longer pleased with what God had provided. They wanted something different. They wanted meat. They wanted something more. And so we are all prone when we reject the sufficiency of God and we are not thankful for the provision of God that our heart craves something that is different than what God has provided. And God says that is sinful. That is covetous. We don't covet something that God has not provided. We have to also, secondly, and, and finally this evening, understand that our cravings, this strong craving that the people of Israel had in Numbers 11, it comes from an idolatrous heart, a sinful heart, a heart that rejects God a heart that is not thankful for God's provision. We want, here's what we want. We want the perfect spouse. We want the 
impressive career. We want the sports car that we know we have to have. We want the vacation home. We want the luxurious vacation. We want the luxuries that money can buy. Here's the reality for each and every one. We want God, but God isn't sufficient. We want God and. We want God and something more or something different. And so tonight as we close, I wonder where you are right now in your life struggling with covetousness. Covetousness promises prosperity, but it delivers spiritual destruction. And so my dear friend, as we close tonight, I want you to take the next week and think and watch for covetousness in your own heart. And then in the next section, we're going to talk about what do we replace our covetousness with? It's it's not enough to just say, I'm going to stop coveting. We have to take this attitude and the spirit of covetousness and replace it with something that pleases God. And we'll talk about that in our next session. Thank you once again for joining us here at Grace Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you next Wednesday night as we try to move away from covetousness and we'll try to replace it with an attitude that pleases the Lord. So join us next week for that. Let me pray with you very quickly, and then uh, we'll, we'll end tonight's session. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness and your patience with us. Forgive us for our covetousness, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week.